This program is brought to you by the Patient Empowerment Network. It is made possible through support from Bristol-Myers Squibb, Foundation Medicine, Takeda Oncology, and generous donations from people like you. Thank you for joining Empowered, a podcast brought to you by the Patient Empowerment Network, also known as PEN. This program is meant to guide you in your healthcare journey, giving you the knowledge and confidence to make informed decisions about your care. For more resources and to learn more about Penn, visit PowerfulPatients.org. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Cherise Gleason. I'm a nurse practitioner for the myeloma program at Winship Cancer Institute of Emory University. The essential testing that a myeloma patient should undergo following a diagnosis is I mean, obviously, you've had those diagnostic tests, labs, a 24-hour urine, um, some scans, but the specific things that we need are a bone marrow biopsy. uh, That includes cytogenetics and FISH, and we can talk a little bit more about that. Um, You also want full body imaging. We used to always use a skeletal survey, which was an x-ray of the long bones, but really the standard of care now is a whole body scan. So depending on what your oncologist or your institution has, that would be a full body CT scan, a PET CT scan, or a full body MRI. So one of those tests is recommended. It's not unusual if you have a PET, like our institution, we use PET CT. So for a newly diagnosed patient, we're also going to get an MRI of the spine. What we're looking for with a full body um, imaging is we want to make sure that there aren't any lytic lesions. So with an x-ray, you have to have about 30% bone loss before it's going to show up on an x-ray. So those traditional x-rays that we used to use could actually miss an active lesion. So in that diagnosis, we want to know that there is no active myeloma and those uh, other scans are going to be more specific to that. So the cytogenetics of a bone marrow biopsy are going to tell us more about the biology of the disease. So cytogenetics actually grows out the pairs of cells. And so that's why that portion of the test can take a while to get back. Um, At our institution, it can take two to three weeks because you're actually growing out those cells to look at the chromosomes. So you're looking at and remember, this is, these are chromosomes or genes of the plasma cells. And so we're looking for those abnormalities that might be present. Um, so you think about it more for the biology of the disease. When we're looking at fish, um, we're also looking, the, that test shows uh, is a little bit different. It comes back quicker. It shows two different phases of cell changes. And so it will tell us about chromosomes as well, but do you have any additional chromosomes? So that would make it a hyperdiploid marrow. Um, it tells us if there's a loss of a chromosome, so you're missing one, a hypodiploid. It also cha- tells us about translocation, so when you've had a piece of a chromosome change and go to another um, cell. And so that, for instance, would be like that translocation 1114 or translocation 414. So it's essential to have that testing to tell us about that because it helps guide treatment. And as we talk more about targeted therapy, these things really can come into play. So testing um, for chromosome abnormalities or changes are important when it comes to targeted therapy. And we used to think of this more in that relapse setting, but we also look at it up front now because it tells us more about the path of myeloma. And there are reasons to check throughout at relapse, again, to see if something's changed. 
So with targeted therapy, um, and we can use the translocation 1114, for instance, many patients have a translocation 1114. It's not a high risk feature, but we know on clinical trial, we have a drug that we're using called venetoclax that those patients can be very sensitive to. And so we're looking at this, not just in translocations, but in sequencing for other abnormalities or gene mutations that can kind of help guide us with these newer therapies. Um, and, and you see that across all cancer types at this point. So you can get very specific with a patient's type of myeloma that this drug is going to work better because you have this mutation. So it really, you know, we look at it up front, uh, it guides us for risk stratification, standard risk versus high risk. And then we look at it in that relapse setting, do we have a drug or a clinical trial that this patient will respond better to because of those abnormalities? Um, there are common abnormalities, you know, when we're risk stratifying, you know, we know standard risk, kind of medium risk and high risk. Those are those, those translocations, those gene mutations that we know about. But newer testing, um, like uh, sequencing, gives us a lot more um, mutations that we don't even know what to do with them all yet. We don't necessarily have drugs for all of them, but it does help guide us down the road. So right now, some you know, common is are the translocations, but also a deletion 17P, which we've known about for a while, but maybe you see a BRAF mutation, which you typically associate with other types of cancers, but we see that in myeloma as well. So, you know, it helps us to look at, is there a drug that this, our myeloma patient might benefit from because they have a BRAF mutation, for instance. Plasma cells or myeloma cells have a target on the outside. And so CD38 is a very common one. You think of daratumumab, for instance, that targets CD38 because it's on the surface of every plasma cell. Um, you have what's called CS1 on the surface of plasma cells that elituzumab targets. And these drugs target that particular marker to break down that myeloma cell in a different way. Um, the reason we use combination therapies are not just because we think, well, this is a great idea to put them together. We know dexamethasone, for instance, is going to make that plasma cell more presentable um, and make that target more presentable to let, for instance, daratumumab work on it. And then you take something like an immunomodulatory agent that works in another way. Um, but as far as targets, that's, you know, on the surface of the cells, what we're looking for on that particular one. Um, with a translocation, that's one um, that's very specific. If you take like an 1114, translocation 1114, those patients can express high BCMA, another target on a plasma cell. And so that's the reason, again, why that works for some of those patients, because it attaches and kills the myeloma from starting from that outside and working into the cell. The traditional chemotherapy approaches just worked at killing everything, including normal cells, right? And so you have a patient who gets admitted for chemotherapy, for instance, it knocks everything down um, in, with that, the myeloma. And then, you know, those cells come back up. And, and so you think of that more from a traditional, we admit to the hospital, we give several days of chemotherapy, or the conditioning regimen for transplant with melphalan, it wipes out everything. And so 
sometimes we still need to do that and do that maneuver to reset the bar. Um, but there's more risk to the patient with that because, you know, we're making the patient more immunocompromised. With targeted therapy, it's, you know, more specific uh, to that target. So it's really working more to kill those abnormal cells in there. So the patient doesn't experience quite that same uh, immunosuppressive state where everything is knocked down. I think staging is confusing for patients. And one of those reasons is in, you know, other types of cancers, they're constantly restaged. And we use the term restaging, you know, and what we really mean when we say restaging is we're looking again. Um, but your initial stage is your stage. So that revised ISS stage one, two, or three, that's what you are throughout the course of your myeloma. But it can change based on looking at things like your bone marrow and the genetics of the disease. Um, so I think that's confusing for patients sometimes. It, I'll have patients come back years later and say, what's my stage or what's my stage now when I've relapsed? And it's you still are whatever you were at diagnosis. And then we add, but here's what's going on. Or is there a new risk factor associated with it? I think for patients, it's important to ask questions. I think sometimes they feel like, or I'm sorry I'm asking this, or I'm sorry I'm telling you all about my side effects. And that's what's supposed to happen at our visits. So I think you know, patients and their family members or caregivers are their best advocate. And they should never feel bad about asking questions, reaching out, reminding their team of things. Um, and being that advocate. We know about side effects and we know about these treatments and we can tell them, but we're not experiencing them. So there's nothing that's too small. And with everything we do comes some sort of side effect. So it's really a team approach to manage these things. And you never want patients to be suffering through. And in reaching out to your team, even between visits is really important writing things down, coming to a visit with a list of questions. These visits go quickly. And if you come with those five things you really want to ask or more, <laughs> but have them written down so you don't miss it in your visit. Um, so you feel like you're part of that discussion and you're getting the information that you need.